Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with a true master, Dr. Dao Xingni, or Dr. Dao, as he is affectionately called by his patients. Dr. Dao is the 38th generation in a family lineage of Chinese medicine doctors and Taoist masters. He's the son of Taoist master Hua Qingni, and Dr. Dao is considered to be one of the foremost authorities on TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, and fertility in America today. He is the author of best-selling book, The Tao of Fertility, and together with his brother, Dr. Mao, he's the co-founder of Yosan University of Chinese Medicine and the holistic medical center, The Tao of Wellness in Santa Monica, California. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Also, he's a master acupuncturist and the first and only man I ever let stick needles into me. And I actually enjoyed it very much. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Dao, you're such a busy man. It is really a pleasure to sit here with you. Thank you for taking time for this interview with us. Well, thank you so much. And I want to say that I'm really uh, a true uh, eternal student learning a lot about life. Um, life presents itself so much. All my patients who really are my teachers and they teach me a lot about life, a lot about understanding of suffering, understanding of health and wellness. I must give that credit to my patients as well as my teachers, uh, my family and my father, and not at least my partner, uh, Dr. Ma, my brother, who uh, always support me in my endeavors. So, so Thank you for um, giving me the opportunity for this interview. Spoken like a true master, which you are. And you just mentioned it yourself. Also, you mentioned your father, your family. And what I find utterly fascinating is that you come from this unbroken line of generations of healers. What has been passed down to you that might have been impossible to learn just by a regular learning in a lifetime? I think it's uh, very interesting. I must say that since childhood, the very first thing I remember is that I wasn't learning about medicine. Uh, when I started out as a little child, uh, my father gave me the opportunity to first learn about five elements, learn about the philosophy of yin and yang. And most importantly, he actually taught me about fortune telling. Oh, wow. And because a lot of the fortune telling is embedded in the five elemental theory and the understanding of energetics. And uh, so it was fascinating. I remember when I was 12 years old, I was trying to translate um, stellar charts, basically star charts, um, compared to the West, to the uh, Chinese um, 
star charts, and there's you know very interesting differences. As you can see, the Western you have different constellations.、Mm-hmm. The Chinese constellation there are twenty five, twenty four main constellations, and the circles, the circles around the sun in in its equator in its uh, actually uh, track. And、it's very interesting how they are not the same as the Western constellations, and they actually have a lot of meaning in a sense of energetics. So when you're born,、um, a certain position where the star is at give a, a designation of your energetics at that point. It's almost like that sets your personality, and you take that into consideration as you also study the personality and the energetics of a family. Mm-hmm. Your parents, for example,、uh, makes、uh, a lot of、uh, energetic influences on you as an individual. On top of it,、um, the timing of the world, the universe, at a time that you were born, as well as、um, other、uh, sibling and, and other influences, which are much much smaller. But a lot of those influences come together, create an interesting environment of an energetic environment for you as you grow. You、um, create that. It's almost like you create this bubble, and it radiates outward, and you are now an energetic being.、Mm-hmm. And that energetic being is supported by the whole universe. So that's what I have to learn. When I was a little kid, is you could also almost call this astrology. Yes. And so、um, that was my first lesson.、Uh, besides uh, doing uh, some martial arts and. Tai Chi and Eight Treasures and Qigong, these are some of the things that I learn、uh, as I grow into、uh, adolescent. And once I get to adolescence, that's when I start learning Chinese medicine. And the first thing you want to learn is the herbs,、mm-hmm. because the herbs are just it, it's it takes so many years to really master that herb thing. It's just because、uh, putting a herbal formula together, it's like putting a jigsaw puzzle together. Is like that one thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. Every single patient that comes in, it's a new jigsaw puzzle, right? And you have to put it together. And、uh, so, a lot of times, you have to figure out the patient, and you have to figure out what's the right herb for that condition. So that's the next learning opportunity. And then after that, of course, everything else—the、um, clinical medicine, the acupuncture, and other technique like Tuina—comes together. So. Um, I really enjoy my journey of becoming a doctor, and、um, has been a wonderful journey. Sometimes challenging, but、mm. compared to what my patient go through in their suffering, I will not complain.、Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in a very enviable position to be able to help. Was it from what you're telling me? There was probably never a question in your mind or your family's mind whether or not you become a healer. It was just a natural flow. I think from the very beginning, I have a sense that I want to help people,、mm-hmm. and when you have that sense, it's very natural to go to medicine.、Mm-hmm. I think that's the next thing that you just naturally say. Well, if somebody's sick, I like to see helping somebody who's sick.、Uh, so I think that's a natural progression.、Uh, to me,、um, when I was in college, I have taken many other classes. I have explored. I even took German. I took Spanish. That's correct. And if I may interject, I, your German is not bad at all. <laughs> Ambition Deutsch. Ambition <laughs> Deutsch. <laughs> Deutsch is sehr gut. <laughs> oh, terrible! <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, um, and I've learned I've learned many different things. I've learned actually computer programming. Um, I have learned swimming, life-saving skills. I've learned psychology fields and uh, many different things that I've learned as I become a young adult at the same time while going through pre-med. Yes, you have a very eclectic mind and I'm sure all of this also informs what you do as a healer. I think so. And I think also, as I say again, uh, the patients who actually really shaped me to become a healer who I am today because they really bring challenges and difficulties as well as personalities mm -hmm. that come with the whole package and you have to unpack it. You have to really understand that, you know, you're not treating an illness. Illness, sometimes it's just mere artifact. Frequently, you're treating the patient not a disease. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a disease is the easiest thing to treat. Sometimes the patient is the most difficult one to treat. Because the disease will be the symptoms of what the patient has been carrying with them for a whole lifetime, a manifestation, so to speak. Yes, and also as a personal energy, there are certain patients that hold a certain energy. That energy can be destructive, mm -hmm. can be negative, can be very attractive to a certain kind of diseases that they always carry. For example, I have patients that always get colds. Right. And gets colds every single three weeks. And sometimes it's not because, so, well, if you look at on top of that, you say, well, that's a weak immune system. But then you dwell deeper, you realize what he or she's been doing to sabotage her, her or his immune system all these years. And that sabotage is more difficult to treat than actually giving the herb to strengthen the immune system. That's an easy task. The difficult task is uh, how do I stop somebody in sabotaging it? How do you actually do that? The first part would maybe be even to make the patient aware of this, but then even if we know about it, it doesn't mean that we'll stop something that's detrimental for us. Well, the awareness is very important. Just being aware, I think some people is just not aware of it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times... It's wonderful that I'm an, in an opportunity as an objective outsider, as a neutral party or third party to be able to point out, say, hey, look, what are you doing? You're smoking or you are, um, you're really eating junk food and, or you're staying late, up, uh, up late at night. These are kind of things that's not very good for your immune system. Why are you doing that? And a lot of time I would put out a question is that, Why are you doing that? And the patient may not know why they do that or they get enjoyment out of it. They, there's something that it's important for them to do that. So I, you go to a place where you say, well, that serves a purpose for you. And is that purpose is something that you want to do? Is that a true purpose? Mm -hmm. uh, is that a purpose? And the truth is that purpose is really killing you. It's making you sick. Mm -hmm. You know, are, are you seeing something real there or are you just really trying to escape or you are just having some issues that you, you're not really looking clearly where you really are going. So a lot of times it's not just, and, and a lot of these are not just psychological evaluation or analysis. A lot of times is through a few words, a few sentences, and a lot of times just really hitting that area. And I think the biggest thing that you do with patients is a sense of care that come from love 
and compassion. Mm. And you want to do everything possible to really help the patient. Now, you could say the patient may not, actually some patient may not want that. Some patient may, may not realize that that's very important or some patient may not accept that. But as a healer, you must always start there. And that is sometimes a hard thing to do because especially if you're tired and if you're exhausted, then you cannot provide that kind of care and love for your patient. So it comes back to a healer's habits. I think to be a healer, you're kind of married to your patients. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you have to kind of uh, really have a lifestyle that is balanced, that is strong, that is conducive to be able to do this work. Right. And you're touching upon something um, very important there. I mean, I've been coming to see you on and off and at all times of day, you always are very calm, very kind. um, And knowing the workload that stands behind this, how many patients do you see a day usually about? Well, it could be anywhere from 30 to 40 patients. It just depends on the day. Yes. Some days are lighter, some days are heavier. So how do you actually manage your own energy and take care of yourself so you keep this flame nourished and don't break down yourself? Well, first of all, you got to get good sleep. Mm -hmm. It starts there. Yes. Uh, If your um, uh, lifestyle is not so good, it's not going to be conducive to your healing. Um, that's number one. Number two is you got to keep your emotion in check. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very, very crucial. When patients come and see you, you want to be compassionate and loving. In some way, that's a form of emotions, but that's a positive emotions. And a lot of time you need to understand, do not let negative emotions derail you. So how do you keep that in check? Because so many of us are afflicted with that whether it's people who deal with other people and try to help them every day, such as yourself, or just people going about their normal days and the emotions just hit us and then they own us. So the emotions run us and we don't, you know, uh, run the emotions. How can we keep that in check? You have to practice a certain sense of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So for example, when I come out of a room with a patient, the next thing I'm going to be doing is I'm going to go into another room to see a patient. You must suspend already what you already have encountered with the previous patient. When you go to the next patient, you're basically going with an open arm, open heart. And that is a person at that point in time that you focus on. It's what I call the you know, present, being present. Yes. And every encounter that you have whether it is with inanimate project, uh, objects mm-hmm. or whether with a person, I am here with you. So I put my focus 100% mm-hmm. with you. There is no reason for me to focus on something else. Are I there... don't need to look at my iPhone. I don't need to look at anything else. Right. You are now my special person mm-hmm. that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. And that is the key. Everything That's... else, you suspend yes. it. And that's actually also a great gift, not only healer to patient, but human being to human being, because being fully aware of one another and spending this time together in a time where there's so much disconnection going on is a truly wonderful thing. However, so you have been doing this 
for many decades for a normal person who's not quite yet there and can't go from moment to moment being present in every moment? Are there certain techniques that we could employ to help us get where Dr. Dao is? <laughs> I don't know. I think I think it's a practice. Yes. I think it's, uh, I, and I, I cannot tell you that every day is perfect. Mm-hmm. Because there are days where that there is really a very strong issues and sadness or anger or mm-hmm. resentment or something that might happen during your day. And that might be difficult to get rid of in one shot. And so a lot of times you have to really try to fake it. And when I say fake it, I don't mean in a very negative way. Mm-hmm. I mean really get yourself together and take, some, take a few deep breaths. Send your energy downward to the lower Dantian. Mm-hmm. Slow down your breathing and move forward. And for those who are not acquainted with the term, please explain Dantian. Dantian is a lower energy center. Yes. I mean, actually, there are three Dantians in our body. The first Dantian is basically in our brain cavity. Mm-hmm. That's our upper Dantian, and it houses our mind and our spirit. Then there is the middle Dantian that's in our chest between both breasts. This area houses our heart, our lung, and most important, our energetics, Mm -hmm. our normal everyday energy. And then the lower Dantian is right below our belly button, which is in the pelvic region. And that's the region that houses the essence of our body. So these are the three treasures of our body. And a lot of time when we function in our life, uh, we tend to put a lot of energy into our brain. So our energy tends to be very much up here in our head area. And a lot of times, it, interesting enough, it does not necessarily help us to make all the best decisions. And a lot of times, you need to actually bring your energy downward more. It's almost like you need to anchor your soul. You need to anchor. It's like a, if you just always live in your head, mm. you're like a kite that just without a string. You can go everywhere. It's like you're just like a web browser. You can go (laughs) everywhere. You click on this, click on that, click on this. You don't even know where you're going. Okay. So it's like that's a kite without a string. Yes. You need to have that anchor. So sometimes the anchor is really in your lower dantian. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when you get to a place where you're very emotional, you want to try to bring back. Um, your sense of self and by bringing that back is by anchoring your energy back down to your lower dantian start to breathe and let the energy settle down to your tummy really everything if you think about in babies I mean we often say you know the guts it's our brain a lot of time we talk about the immune system the guts it's our brain in some ways very true is that when we first breathe as a baby our whole body breathes okay it's not just how long. You can see the tummy goes up and down. The whole body breathes. Mm-hmm. So what we want to do is bring the breath down to your lower dantian. Okay. Lower part. Not just breathing up high and not just leaving our energy in our head. Superhumanize. And what you just said about um, the connecting, reconnecting to yourself. I think that's a big part also of the a Taoist practice. I'd like to talk before we get into what is your absolute field of expertise, you know, fertility and of course also anti-aging. I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the Taoist philosophy, which as I understand is one of the foundations of Chinese medicine. And 
in a nutshell, what would you explain to people who've never heard about this? What is the main focus of Taoism? Taoism is to understand that life um, in some ways uh, of two polarities of yin and yang. Um, so what I mean is that if there is a force, there will always be an opposing force. Mm -hmm. uh, once you see something is beautiful, it means you already define something that's ugly. Mm -hmm. Once you see something ugly, for you to judge something that's ugly, there must be something you're judging that's more beautiful. Okay? So same thing. Something is good. You may have something is bad. So life is this whole sense of judgment and the whole sense of comparison and the whole sense of relativity. You're relating. Okay? So in that sense, is that that's how we see the world. We judge by compare frequently and contrast. And the universe judges that way too. The universe have a sense of yin and yang has polarity. Even the earth, if you look at earth, we have a north pole, we have a south pole. It never sees each other. But these are the poles that holds the whole globe together. Right. And okay. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but in that sense, judging or judgment is does not have a negative connotation like it might have in the West, but it's actually a necessary thing, a beautiful thing, because without the one, there is not the other. Well, the judging is very important yes. because without that proper judgment, you won't survive. Mm -hmm. You need that judgment. So I'm not saying the judgment's wrong. I'm saying that the judgments are relative and both makes up the globe. The mm -hmm. beauty and the ugly, both are equally important in our life. The good and the bad elements makes what our life it is today. Okay, so in some ways, the Taoists believe that, for example, in medicine, I mean, we talk about disease, right? Mm -hmm. There's a reason why disease occur. Okay, disease, an important thing of the universe. Okay, physical life needs to die so it can give birth again. So death is not something to be afraid of. Death is something to be celebrated of because that's a life cycle. How do you know death is not a beginning and while birth is the end? Because frequently we see birth as a beginning and death is the end. Right. I mean, that's our physical connotation concept. So in some ways, we don't see it. We see it only in the human realm. We don't necessarily jump out and see what a universal realm is all, all about. Okay. So we've only seen one basic, fun aspects of it. Yes. So... In some ways, in medicine, for example, virus and bacteria wants to eat us up, wants to fight with us. I mean, the truth that you and I sit here, there are probably trillions or billions of viruses and bacteria. It's really basically attacking us. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. And our body is fighting off all the time. It's and, exercising. And right? also living in harmony with a whole lot of them that we it's, need. We need them. Yeah. We need them. I mean, you know, without them, we don't exercise. We get lazy, we get <laughs> complacent, and um, and the bacteria and viruses make the world go around. I mean, without them, I don't think there's a life because if you think about it, the first organism is bacteria. Correct. You know, and so they are kind of like our mother and father. Yes, and I think this is an interesting aspect about, let's say, the Western way of thinking about things, where we see each other as separate. Let's say, for example, the bacteria and are there and here I am. No, no, no. We're something that's part of a greater whole. And if you look at, for example, 
you spoke about, you know, birth and death, what is truly the beginning, what is the end. And if you look at birth and how it's described in the West, where it's more like I'm born into this world and Eastern philosophies will likely more have a born off this world. You come from the world into this world. You don't come from nowhere right here. It's a very different way of viewing things and a very different way of relating. Uh, you know, the Western often has this thing, separate ego and a hostile environment. And I think that's uh, also largely uh, responsible for a lot of the woes that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Taoist look at life and death is a transition, mm -hmm. and a life and death is a continuum. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily stoppage, it's a transition. And so, in some ways, um, we need to treasure our life when we are here, and regardless where that here is, mm -hmm. you always stay engaged. You always stay mindful and you stay with focusing on what would be the best for your life at that given moment. You treasure your life and you do your best. You don't question about where I come from. Well, you could. You can, but, you know, questioning that whole day long is not going to help you. <laughs> uh, you can also question where you're going. That's not important either. The most important is right now, at this moment, what are you doing in your life and what are you making the best out of it? And that is actually the most important thing. The Taoist philosophy, how did it, in a practical way, influence Chinese medicine? Chinese medicine took the yin and yang principles to the heart, to heart. And it believes that our life is of two forces, a pathogenic force and an antipathogenic force, a force that's trying to make us sick and a force that's trying to not make us sick and defend it. And uh, for us to be healthy, those two forces must be balanced. So that means that our antipathogenic energy is always stronger than the pathogenic energy. And that's our vitality, that's our force, that's mm -hmm. our life force. If we have a strong life force, that means we have good defensive immunity. We have strong um, circulation. We have strong organ systems that allow us to live brilliantly. Okay, So that's an important balance that our body must have. If our body becomes out of balance, where the, anti, where the pathogens become stronger, they start to overwhelm our body. Where our body's own antipathogen, uh, the defensive mechanism is not strong enough, we start to get sick. And then gradually, gradually, we weaken and we die. And so that's when the body becomes out of balance. So the whole concept of treating illnesses is about bringing our body back to that yin and yang balance. Yes, we need some good bacterias. We don't want to kill all the bacterias. And we cannot in any way eradicate all the bacterias. We cannot. But we, what we want to do is to get our body strong enough that you can keep these pathogenic forces away so they don't get us sick, even though they are present. Right. Okay. Learning to live with them is better than trying to destroy them. Yes. And, you know, when you look on online forums, a lot of the uh, social media pages that deal, deal with health and wellness, so many people, the first thing they do, they want to go and 
take antibiotics, you know, shoot and put an atomic bomb onto their entire system and messes them up even worse, um, which I think is a huge difference. Of course, the Eastern medicine, it's about prevention, about keeping uh, really a vital health force going. And in the West, we're used to just treating the symptoms and uh, uh, basically exchanging organs <laughs> when they don't work anymore. So when you came here and um, you took over the, you basically took over your father's practice, right? And then this became the, what is today the Tao of wellness, where we're actually sitting right now in your office. Uh, this was how many years ago? This was uh, 19, between 1983 to 85. Um, this is the time when my father had a very successful practice and he was getting ready to retire. And my brother and me, I came on about 1983, the end of 1983. My, my brother came on the end of 1985. My father starting to um, go through a transition with us and teach us the ropes of how to become a healer. And I think he eventually retired sometime in 1987. I might be wrong. But at that time, that's when my brother and I started to take over fully. Mm -hmm. Um and there was so much to learn from my father. And my father was very wise. I mean, at a certain point in 1987, he just told my brother and I, this is all yours now. I'm leaving. So he actually left town. So I think he did on purpose so that we can grow up really quickly. And, uh, um, and he see that, you know, we are ready and he could just back off. Uh, because if he's still in town, everybody want to see him. <laughs> and uh, so he left town for uh, a very interesting strategy that he had there. And um, I really appreciate, you know, now you think back, you say, oh, I see why my father did that. And that was a very uh, um, wonderful mm. uh, experience. Um, and uh, my mother um, really helped us in our urban she actually helped us to establish our herbum. She's very tidy and very meticulous. So the herbum, I often say, you can judge by how a practice is going to go, by how well they run their herbum. Mm -hmm. If the herbum is meticulous, it's clean, well-labeled, and very good flow of energy and how it flows, um, how they store the herbs, how you process the herbs. If you can really do it in a, such an effective and efficient way. Um, and that's what my mother is. My mother taught us that aspect, which is very important. Mm -hmm. So we are very lucky to have both my father and my mother really support us um, to give us opportunity to become who we are today. So we never forget about that. I think that's very important to come back and be respectful to what my parents have intended for. Us, and they both are very healthy. And uh, so I'm very lucky to have both of them. Now, I'm sure they're also very uh, proud of what you and your brother have established. Uh, I think it's worthwhile mentioning here that not only do you run a thriving practice here at the Tao of Wellness, but uh, you are very well-published authors. You yourself have uh, a best-selling book, The Tao of Fertility, as well as Sitting Moon, A Guide to Natural Rejuvenation and After Pregnancy. And uh, you also disseminate your knowledge about um, Eastern medicine, wellness, health, fitness via DVDs, videos. You're very active uh, on all the social media channels. And um, so you were further, 
furthering the cause of holistic healing, not just here in Alaiva, your practice, but uh, globally. You have a global audience. And you also, you mentioned the herb room. I think by now, correct me if I'm wrong, you actually um, manufacture about 100 products yourself. Is that correct? Yeah, we have our own products. And a lot of these products come from our own clinical experience. Mm -hmm. uh, we really want to share with uh, other people who can just buy some of these products over the counter um, instead of always have to be prescribed. So we have somewhere around, I think it's about 50 to 100 products mm -hmm. available through Traditions of Tao. So they can order product, this website that they can purchase from. Um, yeah, it's um, it's been a wonderful experience in putting formula together, trying to figure out what would the general public needs and uh, trying to give something back to the community where they can use. So, um, yes. And especially for people who are not able to come in here and see you or your brother. You know, they're just able to order these healing formulas and experience this for themselves at home. Superhumanize. You are considered really one of the foremost authorities on um, fertility in the United States. And you have helped countless patients, you know, achieve their dream of getting pregnant, having a child. And if you look at the infertilities today, they seem to run rampant. What are the main causes of culprits of infertility today? Uh, you're very kind. I learned a lot from my patients and to help out with their fertility. I think that one of the biggest cause is age. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of women are having to, uh, to choose, and sometimes it's not by choice, um, delay childbearing. Mm. And sometimes it's because their relationship um, is not there or they have their relationship late in their life. Um, and, and whether or not it's same sex or whether or not it's heterosexual, it really doesn't matter. It's just that we are starting our family later. Much later, yes. Much later. And the more education you have, the more we are having later. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And also in the United States, I believe as time goes on, Having children are more expensive now than before. Before, you probably could have 10 kids and, you know, you can probably like handle it. But nowadays, I mean, even one kid is cost too much. And I think sometimes it's because what we do with it. I mean, a lot of times we buy the best car seat, we buy the best this, we buy the best of that. We buy, you know, fancy cribs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we really uh, try to do everything possible to be the best parent that we can be. Best costs money. Yes. We stress ourselves out way too much instead of just living it. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yes. And so the first cause, I would say age. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's the first one. It's mm -hmm. just having later childbearing age. And that still comes back. You can, it's like gravity. You can't defy gravity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can fool it a little bit, but you cannot defy it at the end of the day. So age is still kind of like the number one reason for infertility. Mm -hmm. And that's still, it's true today. And what about um, younger people who are also seeing these kinds of problems? You know, there's a lot of talk, of course, about toxicity, about the uh, kind of um, things that you ingest when you drink a lot out of plastic bottles or, you know, just exposed to um, all kinds of uh, hormones via the food and whatnot. What can we actually do to safeguard our bodies as much as possible, whether it's via an herbal protocol or a detox? There's definitely a lot of environmental concerns. Mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely plastics 
or chemicals that uh, what we call endocrine disruptors mm -hmm. that disrupts our thyroid functioning, that disrupts our ovarian functioning. Okay, so they are out there, um, and they do affect our women especially, mm -hmm. and men also as well. If you look at men in general worldwide, we are having declining um, semen uh, numbers, yes. concentrations. You could say that maybe we men just got much more efficient and effective. <laughs> I like to think that way. <laughs> but there are probably a good reason why um, those numbers are declining because um, of chemicals in our food mm -hmm. sources and water sources. And you've seen a lot of these papers and a lot of the research. I mean, you stay on on, on top of, of the newest uh, results and statistics. Uh, are there any specific things that come to mind when you're speaking, for example, about the chemicals? Like what would be the first, second substances B that come to mind? Well, BPA. Yes. I mean, that's definitely up there. Yeah. Uh, that's for sure. Dioxins and as well as other petroleum products can emit, um, um, you know, uh, basically chemicals that might be very, very bad for our body. Mm -hmm. um, the other things, uh, um, so we talk about petroleum, oh, heavy metals. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's heavy metals such as lead, mercury, arsenic, um, especially uh, when they are in their most pure form, can be very, very damaging. Some of these things are in alloys, like mercury does not, it's an unstable gas. It doesn't like to be alone uh -huh. and it likes to become an alloy. Sometimes in an alloy situation, it's less harmful, uh, but it stays in your body a longer period of time. So there are things, I mean, mercury vapor is really, 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 really toxic. And Where harmful. would we get exposed to mercury vapor, for example? It's not easy, um, but. Uh, you have a little bit of mercury um, vapor in, uh, um, like when you have, uh, when you have some chemical process. Mercury is a basically a catalyst for a lot of different chemical reactions. So in that process, when you're trying to make chemicals, you can emit mercury gas. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, and also for example, if you have like mercury alloy feelings, of course. right? If and most of the time they are alloy. So they are kind of, they don't really break down that easily, that quickly. So they don't usually bother you as much unless you're very sensitive. But when you start to drill into it, for example, when you're trying to remove it, exactly. that high pressure, that high heat, start to break down the bonds of the alloy. So you start having the gas releases. Now and that can be very toxic. And that's the reason why a lot of holistic, holistic dentistry they start to put a total gas mask or different camp where that you breathe in a different airway. But even with that, people still get sick. Mm. So there was a period of time, I remember, that everybody's removing their mercury feelings. Now, nobody dare. We don't do that as much anymore. First of all, people having more choices. We have personal feeling and other feelings now. But also that we realize removing the feelings sometimes are more toxic than leaving them Than keeping there. them, yes. And I think this is something, uh, I can't stress this enough, uh, having you know, heard from the results, even test results of actually heavy metal toxicity of people who had the fillings removed without the dam. I mean, they use a dam and a mask, like you said, holistic 
dentist, but without that, you're especially the proximity to the brain. You're exposing yourself to some of the most toxic substances known to humankind. If you do get your fillings removed, then please seek out somebody who knows what they're doing. So we're living our lives and most of us, we can't avoid getting exposed to toxins. So what can we do to protect ourselves? Well, our body actually is an incredible machine in actually relieving toxins. It actually is a perpetual detoxification machine. Okay, if our body is healthy, mm-hmm. our body do get rid of toxins. It's only when our body is unhealthy or weak that's when our body is burned. So the number one number one thing is just to keep our body healthy. Yes, and other things there are other things that we can do to detox. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of things we can do detoxification. We have detoxification regimens that came from the Taoist uh, conception and come from the Taoist textbooks about how you can detox. For example, there's um, this whole concept of forty nine days. Every forty nine days, seven times seven. Every forty nine day, you will do a detoxification of two days. Where you avoid all grains, mm-hmm. you know you don't eat any grains, and probably only vegetable juice. Well, not even vegetable juice. Just drink water for about two days, where you allow your body to flush right. the toxin out. And why forty nine days? Every forty nine days? Uh, it's I think it's like there are a certain amount of time where the toxin builds up. Okay. And by about forty nine days, it's a time to cleanse. And to kind of rejuvenate, to cleanse. Or the 49 days time you get sick again. You know, there are a lot of people who get sick seasonally. Yes. But it's also when they get well and then the next sickness comes after a certain amount of time. So 49 days is kind of like the next time you're about to get sick again or your immune system is getting weaker. So that's why I can explain to you also the, um, the 7 times 7, 7 times 7, 49 is basically taking seven week of seven days um, to consider that that is a magical that's a magic number in the Taoist numerology and this might be just observation from the ancient Taoists to feel like this is a time where toxin builds up too much this is a time you need to cleanse mm-hmm. and what does the number seven stand for in Taoist numerology are there certain attributes seven is a very important number for women. Mm-hmm. Okay, we often say uh, women runs in the seven-year cycles in their reproduction. Uh, seven years old, uh, that's when all their mature adult teeth start to all come out. 14 years old, when they start getting their period menarche. 21 years old, they become a young adolescent. And 28 is the peak mm-hmm. of their fertility. 35, they start to age. Mm-hmm. Forty-two, two, they really age. And they're still going through perimenopause. And 49 is when they are going close or to the average menopausal age. So if you look at that, you realize those age number that's been going on for probably the last few thousand years, that hasn't changed much. I mean, right now, the average menopause age is still 49 to 51 in mm-hmm. this country. So... It has, things hasn't changed that much. Yes, menarche, we might have a girl at 12 years old instead of 14. But still, 14 is still a pretty much of a very similar number. We haven't changed much in those mm. numbers. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what a woman's reproductive cycle is dictated by, is seven. So that's a very important number in numerology of uh, feminine energy. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. I'll look into that deeper. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Superhumanize.
So, and getting back to fertility, so what if somebody asks you, dear Dr. Dow, are there a few things that I can do as a woman and also as a man? What are the top things I can do as a woman, maybe taking certain herbs or certain therapies to just increase, enhance my fertility? And what should I definitely not do? I think the first thing is know thyself. Yes. <laughs> what I mean by that is that sometimes it's not about what to do yet, but what to know who you are, where you are. Is your period regular? Are you ovulating regularly? Are you having short cycle? Are you having less flow? Is your PMS reduced? Are you having more vaginal discharge or less vaginal discharge? Are you dry now? Is your libido gone down? A lot of these symptoms and signs is an awareness of your hormone level as well as your reproductive potential. So a lot of time, first thing is that you got to be aware. And going from there, then you can say, okay, I have this, this, this. Uh, my libido is low. I have, I'm vaginally more dry now. What can I do now? So there are things that you can do. There are herbs you can take. There are some food you can eat. There's some lifestyle you can do mm -hmm. to actually improve that. Which type of herbs and foods? Well, um, it depends. You have to diagnose yes. a patient. Let's say, for example, they might have what we call in Chinese medicine, kidney indeficiency. Then you may want to go to herbs such as Romania, such as uh, Dioscoria, which is wild yam, as well as uh, uh, fructose corny or sanzui. Um, with food whites, you may want to look at bone marrow. Um, you may want to look at some uh, gelatins and animal products such as beef uh, can be very helpful, for example. Um, and some mushrooms, actually, could be very good. Which type of mushrooms? I love mushrooms, so that's well, right up my alley. lion's mane uh -huh. could be good. Um, there, um, um, I like the portobello mushrooms, maitake mushrooms. Uh, these are all very nourishing very nourishing nature. Um, and uh, gelatin is very good too. You know, gelatin, collagens are very good. Mm -hmm. um, so they have supplements you can buy and uh, they could be very helpful. And so for someone like me, because I'm plant-based, so collagen and gelatin would not be on my list. What can I do? For example, I heard about the tremella mushroom, which can be very nourishing and helpful. Would you also recommend that and or other things? Yes. I mean, if you look at there's a lot of edible mushroom that's mm -hmm. highly nutritious. Um, and uh, you have portobello, you have puccini mushrooms, you have maitake, 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 shiitake. And you also have these, um, I think it was called noki mushroom. These are what we call uh, golden in Chinese, we call it golden needle mushroom. Yes. It's kind of long. And I know it's got exactly. a little cap at the yeah. top. Um, so there's many different mushrooms and, and they are very nutritious and you should definitely make that as a repertoire. Mm. Um, uh, part of the... Uh, uh, now, if you're plant-based um, and if you're not vegan, you may want to consider some egg or some dairy product. That's a very good supplementation. Now, if those things are, doesn't work for you and you're vegan, then you may want to consider some algae. Mm -hmm. Seaweed and algae can be a very good nutritional source because um, a lot of algae has a lot of protein. And that could be really, really helpful in uh, strengthening the, uh, um, the egg quality uh -huh. as well. Fantastic. Um, I've been seeing you for... Um you know, off and on and for a bunch of reasons from increasing fertility to boosting my general health and also put a strong focus on anti-aging. And I think it's 
uh, <laughs> it's fair to say I've been a stellar patient listening to everything you say, except for one thing, which is I still drink coffee. You recommended to me to not drink coffee. <laughs> so this is my one big vice. Um, I love coffee. Please explain to me again, and maybe also to other people, women who are listening here, why do you recommend to your female patients to curb the coffee intake? I really love the aroma and the taste mm. of the coffee. I am absolutely not against drinking of a coffee. <laughs> I'm against the habitual drinking of the coffee. <laughs> so if you have it occasionally as a treat, I don't have any problem with uh -huh. it. But if you drink it every day, day after day, what is going to happen is that, you know, caffeine is a stimulant. Every single cup of coffee is about 100 milligrams of caffeine. Yes, you can definitely get used to it and you can definitely like it. Mm -hmm. And uh, trust me, I have... Sometimes I, when I do a treat, actually I, I usually go for the water uh, source, uh, a decaf type of coffee. I don't usually drink real, real coffee. I like my coffee, shall we say, washed down <laughs> because I can't handle 100 milligrams of caffeine. <laughs> I will be bouncing off the wall in this room right now um, and my heart would go crazy. Mm -hmm. I just I won't feel good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, very interesting in nature. Coffee being is toxic to a lot of animals. Uh, you yeah. see, human is only one of the very, very few animals that actually can metabolize coffee without disruption and destruction to our central nervous system. Mm -hmm. There's some animals when they ingest coffee bean, they actually become totally disoriented and they become a prey, you know. And uh, so it's really not good. Uh, for animal to eat co coffee beans. Now, having said that, coffee beans is very high in antioxidant. Right. I mean, we can always argue about, hey, that's a good thing. Well, I can also tell you, uh, antioxidant, a lot of stuff is high in antioxidant. It doesn't have to be coffee. And I think, again, I say, I think it's more of the habitual use, yes. I don't think it's a good thing. What does it do, especially for women? And when women are working on fertility, why is it detrimental? You are always stimulated when you're drinking coffee. You that's know, not that's, a bad uh, thing. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you, you're hyped. You're stimulated. <laughs> it's not a bad thing if you want to have a, you know, hyped energy. But what happens with that is that sometimes it can stimulate your adrenaline. Yes. Stimulate your adrenal function. Right. And a lot of time when your adrenaline is stimulated, your body thinks that you're in the fear and fright mode. Mm-hmm. An animal is kicking your butt or an animal is chasing after you. <laughs> there is no way you're going to get pregnant at this time. So <laughs> the body is going to say, hey, you know what? You're not relaxed. You're not lazy. You are just like, go, go, go. You're driven. Something is not right in this equation. You're not getting pregnant. And that's just lower your whole female hormone level. Wow. Let's make sure that you don't get pregnant so soon at this time because I don't think your body can handle it. Now, that is the now issue. I get it, Dr. Dow. So now I just have to decide what do I want more, coffee or children? This is going to be hard. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it's, it's in, in such a country, you know, I have so many patients who is, a, who is so, such a good patient, quote, unquote, good patient, <laughs> vegetarian, they eat clean, <laughs> they watch their diet, they exercise regularly, they're healthy, they feel good, but they can't get pregnant, uh -huh. okay? What, on the contrary, 
the truth is the lazy one gets pregnant. Lazy one who eats McDonald's every day <laughs> and who is not overly fat, but who's lazy, who doesn't really clean up, wash dishes, or who doesn't, who is not driven and they sit on a couch, watch TV. These are the ones who's going to get pregnant first because the body knows, hey, you got nothing else better to do right now. Let's just get pregnant. <laughs> And you, and you got a lot of food resources. I mean, you're eating chips. You're like having like, you're not having a resource issue. The body knows. It notices it. Is you're not having, and you're eating McDonald's, you got high fat. You, you don't have a resource issue. You're getting pregnant. Yeah, so so all these, all, all of my sisters listening here, you're exercising every day. You're on the treadmill. It's like running from wild animals. You're fasting. So your body thinks you're in a famine and you're stressed all the time. And you're drinking coffee, kicking your adrenals butts. Don't do it. Go to the couch, watch Netflix, <laughs> order food in. <laughs> I love it. That's okay, a great Okay, okay. Let's don't go overboard mm -hmm. now. <laughs> And so, but uh, speaking about women and fertility, um, and uh, you mentioned it before, the sperm quality and also quantity seems to be decreasing globally. What can a guy do to increase his fertility and just the quality of a sperm? Well, first of all, we need to know the, the, the cause of it. Yes. I think um, this man goes, I think we are not living in the wilderness like what we used to be. Our wilderness is a urban jungle. And we are exposed to urban toxins a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think these chemicals really do reduce our, I believe it re really do reduce our sperm uh, count mm -hmm. uh, as well as all the other parameters. Now, I cannot, you know, there's no research that shows this. You know, I was thinking about how many doses of birth control pill that this world takes Uh, it's probably what millions of doses every day. Mm -hmm. So I imagine how that goes into our water supply right. and it gets recycled. And I wonder what that does to a man's sperm count. Now I have nothing to back up, but I do know there's a lot of stuff out there and it's, it's not, it's, it's big. And I think that eventually creates problem. Mm -hmm. Yes. Our environment, our ocean, It's very good in filtering, but you get to a point where it might be too much. So I have no nothing to back that up, but I think somebody needs to do research, find out all the chemicals we put in the environment, including things like birth control pill and other hormone-based kind of product out there. We need to take a look at what that does. It may have, you know, even trace amount might impact our sperm. Um, so what can a man do? Well, there's several things. First of all, um, trying to reduce, um, stress. I think that it's the number one and get plenty of sleep. And the other thing is that wear more loose underwear, but not thick underwear. There's a reason why our testicle hangs outside of our body. It doesn't like to be too hot. Okay. So you need to be a little cooler than our body temperature. So that's what you wanted to do is uh, have a looser underwear. So it breathes and try not to eat, try not to uh, wear thick and tight jeans. Um, you know, wear more looser slacks, breathable slacks that's thinner. Uh, of course, unless it's Michigan winter, that's something <laughs> different. But otherwise, trying to wear something thinner and more breathable. So that's one. The other thing is try not to sit for a long period of time. When you're sitting, all the blood pools there and it just become a natural heat sink. 
in that area. So you do want to get up a lot and walk around. If you sit, I often say, you know, 50, 10. If you're really sitting for 50 minutes, you need to get up for 10 minutes, walk around. And sometimes the way to really help you to know that is just drink a lot of water. Because when you drink a lot of water, you got to get up and pee. <laughs> so you got no choice. So that's kind of like a little reminder. So that's helpful. And that comes back to drinking a lot of water. Just make sure you drink plenty of water. That really helps. Um, besides that, exercise. Exercise dissipates heat and increases blood flow. And that can help to improve sperm production functions. And so these are some of the things that uh, I think men can do uh, to just um, change their lifestyle to improve and also take a look at some of the medication they are taking. Uh, some of the drugs that's used to um, help hair growth, such as Propecia, right. may not be so good for the sperm quality and DNA as well as quantity. So you may want to look into not taking uh, those drugs. So, um, so these are kind of things that uh, a man can do. And if there is definitely a suboptimal semen uh, uh, report, they may want to seek a professional. I would be happy to help a urologist with do exam. So uh, we always work, um, you know, complementarily to help our men to have a better quality in sperm. Because the truth is, it's not about having enough sperm. It's having good quality sperm. Mm-hmm. Because our end point is to not, pregnancy is not our end point. Pregnancy is just a journey. Our end point is to have a healthy baby, to have healthy parents, healthy family, so that we can provide and give a good environment for this healthy baby to grow and develop. So that's really the end point. So the end point is not just getting pregnant. So we have to think a little bit further out. Superhumanize. There's one thing uh, that I'm interested in. Uh, Taoists are known to using practices to um, stimulate and increase their bodily fluids, um, amongst other also semen. And the practice of decreasing or even avoiding uh, ejaculation for men, is that something you would also recommend for men who want to uh, help build you know, the quality and quantity of their sperm? Yes, I think there's an appropriateness in the amount of ejaculation one should have. I mean, we do know very simply that when you ejaculate multiple times, your sperm quality and then sperm quantity goes way down. So you do want to save up your sperm, but you don't want to go crazy and save up for two weeks. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do, there's an appropriateness at a certain age and a certain lifestyle and a certain health status. So, for example, when you're 20s, you can probably ejaculate more often, right? When you're 30s, you need to ejaculate just slightly less. And at 40, you definitely want to start to monitor how frequently you ejaculate. And at 50, for sure, that you want to make sure that you don't ejaculate as often. Because um, not only the the quantity goes down, the quality also goes down. So... Um, like in the 20s, you probably could ejaculate probably easily three, four times a week. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the 30s, I think you don't want to go beyond three times a week. In the 40s, probably twice a week. In the 50, you're still on a very healthy 50. You can still do twice a week, but you're starting to reach about once a week. And the 60s are probably once a week. Mm-hmm. 70s, if you can get it up, then you can do whatever you want to do. <laughs> Great advice from Dr. Dow. At that point, no restrictions. <laughs> 
Knock yourself out. Sorry. <laughs> no excuses needed. Um, and uh, a side note of the, you know, the, the reducing the amounts of ejaculations, which doesn't mean orgasm necessarily, right? Because there is a practice to not ejaculate, but still enjoy the orgasm. But that takes a lot of practice to master. As I understand, but as a side note, it also conserves um, Jing, right? The the life energy in which we also want to preserve for longevity. In your experience as a practitioner, what are the most important aspects of longevity? We all want to live longer, but how do we get there, and what do we really need to mind? I think the most important aspects of longevity is to have a healthy relationship. And what I mean by that is it starts with a healthy relationship with yourself. Okay. Because you, me, I am me and myself. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm with myself. So in some ways, what's my relationship with myself? That's actually the number one thing. Frequently, we look outward to have other relationships to fulfill us. It's a burden for that person. It's a burden for yourself. Mm. It's lovely to be in an intimate relationship. But in some ways, you've got to have a healthy relationship with yourself first to start with. And that is reflection. That is self-cultivation and spiritual cultivation. Sensing that all of us are like puzzle pieces. We all have part of us that's protruding, part of us that's empty. And we need to be aware of those areas and find ways to mitigate those areas and make us whole. By being aware of our special uniqueness, we become whole. That's how it goes. Mm -hmm. And so, and don't blame other people for those emptiness and, you know, protrusions because we come to this life, we need to be accountable to ourselves. Um, it's not someone who's responsible for you. And you got to start being responsible for yourself. Start there. So that's one, is having a good relationship with yourself. Frequently, when you have a good relationship with yourself, you will become, your relationship with others becomes much healthier. And the intimate relationship, I think, is very important. Having a good, loving, caring, intimate relationship it's it's worth it. I think it's hard to be alone. And I think it would be great if people are not to be alone. I think loneliness, it's frequently detriment to one's health. Mm -hmm. And why is that? Because the Taoists believe in energy exchanges. Now the energy needs to go out and come in and go out and come in. It's like a circle you cannot be stagnant. You have to keep moving. Okay, so having a relationship with somebody is exactly that. It's an interaction of energy going out, coming back in, going out, and coming back in. Now, there's an unhealthy relationship, of course, and we need to be aware of that. And I hope that people can realize that. And I don't necessarily think everybody wants to be in an unhealthy relationship. I think the reason we get into an unhealthy relationship is frequently that we are not aware of what our self is and what our needs are. 
and frequently we basically uh, sacrifice a certain part of us to go into an unhealthy relationship. I don't think that's good for us in the long run and vice versa also. So I think um, it's important to be aware of that and trying to live a more balanced life. But ultimately, for longevity, if you ask me what's the best way to, uh, to live long, you need to laugh more. <laughs> and laughing more does mean that you want to find somebody who can actually appreciate your jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's very important. Um, and uh, have a good conversation. Yes. Having good meals together, do things together, and having laughing together. I think that is priceless. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing here is that you put a huge emphasis on emotional well-being, which that's what it truly boils down to. And I think that's so important. Many of us forget that nowadays. There is a question I ask every honored guest I have the privilege to have here, and that is which practice or practices have most profoundly affected your life in a positive way, whether it's mental, spiritual, or physical, or all of the above? I think the biggest practice for me would be walking contemplation. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally like to walk into the woods, into a forest, into a trail where I can walk for miles um, and just really reflect and feel the environment, feel nature. Nature is so healing and so wonderfully supportive and so, shall we say, fair and um, um, loving. And I feel the caress of the wind. I feel the change of the season. And it really made me appreciate how the life and the death, the cycle of such is embedded in the season that I see, in the trail that I hike in. And that contemplation really helped me to appreciate what I go through. Uh, when times when I was going up a mountain where it becomes difficult or challenging, Just in a sense, it's just hard and it's raining, it's cold. Sometimes I ask myself, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. I don't need to do this, but why am I doing this? And a lot of time, I remember my patient who has cancer going through chemotherapy, going through radiation. What they have to go through, they have no place to turn. They have to face their disease in front of them. They have to be nauseous and vomiting and they still have to go through it. At that point in time, I realized what I go through is nothing compared to what I go through. I utilize their energy that they've given to me to conquer whatever mountain that I need to hike, need to walk to. And I do it so that I can stay sharp. I do it so I can stay strong for them. Mm. And I think that contemplation, that walking contemplation is very important to me. Um, So that's one of them that I do. Um, Some Qigong practices, Queen style Qigong practices, very soothing, very gentle and very calming. And I think that's also very important to me. And having good conversation like this with you, as well as being able to spend time with my patients, spend time with my family, my loved one. It's very important to me also as well. 
Mm-hmm. And these are, I would say, you know, you could say that's not a practice, but I would say daily life is a practice. And uh, you do have a choice. Sometimes you don't, but frequently you do. And you can choose how you live. And if you can choose how you live, then I would say live profoundly, mm. live brilliantly, and really enjoy what life has presented to you. Mm. Dr. Dow, thank you so much for this insightful, inspiring, funny, and profound conversation. And uh, for people who have listened to this and followed this, who would like to connect with you or learn more what you're doing, what are the best methods to get in touch with you or to actually learn from you online? Um, well, I do right now have some podcasts. I also write, I have a podcast for acupuncturists, so it's more for professionals. So maybe that's not a very good way to connect. Um, I am practicing in Santa Monica mm-hmm. and so the in, in, in California, And our phone number here is 310-917-2200. People can call here, and I usually call people back. Um, there's also classes that I teach. Uh, College of Tao has retreats. For example, this Saturday, I'll be teaching Queen Style Qigong for two hours. I'll be taking them on a hike in uh, Tomasco Canyon on a local mountain. And we'll do a little walking uh, meditation. Um, so from time to time, I do that. And uh, maybe I'll be teaching um, a Queen style Qigong intensive this year, uh, teaching people on Qigong. So these are kind of things that I do. So Excellent. I'll make sure you. to put the information also in the show notes as well as your uh, uh, social media pages and, of course, also the website and contact for the Dao of Wellness. Dr. Dao, thank you so much for being present with me, with us here. It was a true pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. 